we are fun dorks. <laughs> System 76. Привет. Это подкаст Linux for Everyone. Добро пожаловать домой. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Linux for Everyone, the podcast about desktop Linux, open source software, and the community creating and enjoying it. My name is Jason Evangelo. I am here at Superfan3, Denver, Colorado, System76 headquarters. What a trip. Um, some disclaimers up front here. This is going to be another, I guess, non-standard episode uh, where I'm not going to have the traditional Discovery of the Week and Songs from the Source, because there is just way, way too much to try to pack in to this this episode. And and I need to apologize in advance for the audio quality. This is obviously not my my studio sound. My travel microphone is a Blue Yeti, and uh, it's it's going to pick up on a lot of uh, background noise and, and just kind of elements of the environment that you may not be used to. So I do apologize for the slightly diminished audio quality. But I do hope that uh, you'll forgive me because hopefully the content in this episode is is going to more than make up for it. And I think the best way for me to begin is by telling you I finally get the magic of Linux gatherings. I have been involved in this community for a year and a half. I've been using Linux full time uh, for roughly a year and a half, and I've interacted with so many of you. And we've chatted and we've, you know, we've done gaming together. Um, but man, you get all of these passionate Linux enthusiasts in a room together. And you add on top of that an entire company who is just uh, so fired up about what they're doing and what they're creating and and how they are um, so involved and and in love with the community that they're doing it for. And it's just, it's like I said, it's just magic. Linux gatherings are, are pretty incredible, and uh, I hope to go to many, many more of them now. And uh, I'm very grateful to System76 for giving me the opportunity to to do this and to to attend Superfan. Uh, Gardner, the Linux gamer, was there, and uh, Anthony from Linus Tech Tips, and a whole bunch of ridiculously talented, creative people who offer a lot uh, to this community. So what exactly is the Superfan event, and why does System76 do it? From my impressions and, and my experience, the company very selectively inviting in um, a few members of the press and many more members of the community, about uh, 10, 12 members of the community who are actual super fans of this company. And they invite us into their home, into their, you know, their inner sanctum. They pull back the curtain and took us on a tour of the factory floor where the Thaleo is designed, where things are painted and treated and tested and prototyped. And um, there was a three-hour roundtable with CEO Carl Rochelle, 
with uh, all of their their engineers and their software developers and UX team and just, you know, everyone was there. And their agenda for this roundtable was, here is our roadmap, here are our aspirations, here are our plans to start developing uh, in-house laptops from the ground up. Uh, we want to hear your your feedback about everything that we're doing. We want to hear your criticisms. We want to hear what we're doing right and wrong. It just went on and on. And it was just such a deep dive into every facet of System76. But what really uh, what really stood out to me was CEO Carl Rochelle. It, normally, a, a CEO is very hands-off. Uh, for many aspects of the, you know, the day-to-day operations, right? But everything we were talking about, whether that was the i3-like uh, tiling extension that they're working on for Pop! OS, whether it was uh, Thaleo prototypes, or I mean, every, like, I can't, even, I can't even list them all, but every single aspect of the business, he was hands-on and knowledgeable and like just fired up about all of it. So anyway, the the Superfan event actually began the night before at the One Up Arcade Bar in Denver. And uh, this is a really cool place. They It's of course a bar for big kids, let's say. Uh, there's wall-to-wall classic arcade games. There's four-player Pac-Man uh, you know, every every arcade game that you would want to play is probably there. And so it was just, uh, it was Carl and the entire, well, not the entire. And so it was Carl and it was uh, several members of the System76 team just kind of mingling with us and hanging out and having some drinks and uh, playing some games and acting silly. And the next day started early, started at about eight o'clock. And uh, we took a charter bus over to System76. And the theme of this event was Mission to Thaleo. But it was not framed with, it was not presented with a lot of detail. We didn't know what to expect at all. So we get into the main lobby and we're, we're signing waivers, you know, uh, damage liability waivers, things like that. Then we were taken into a screening room and shown a, uh, a pre-mission briefing <laughs> featuring their HR guy. And that alone was so well done and so uh, intentionally tacky, but, but also intentionally hilarious that it set such a, a great tone. It was um, <laughs> kind of giving us what to expect on our mission to Thaleo, you know, some of the obstacles we'd have to overcome and the data we'd have to acquire. And uh, that, was just, that was just brilliant. And then we were given our spacesuits, which were uh, actually bomber jackets with the Thaleo patch on it. After that... We were taken into the factory floor, but it had been completely transformed. It was black lights all over the place in, in what looked like um, different stations that had, uh, y- you know, neon lighting everywhere and uh, kind of this space theme. And they had these RC vehicles that were, you know, two wheels and a little, um, I don't know, kind of a mechanism on the back where if you hold down this controller... Uh, it would jump. And so the goal was to put on a visor and navigate the spaceship through uh, various obstacles and acquire data about the location, right? So 
And, and we started off uh, almost blind because the, the the visors that they were giving us obstructed uh, your view. And so you had to rely on your squad. And there were three different squads. And uh, you had to have your squad helping you. And that made it really, that kind of, you know, gelled everyone together and broke the ice and got everyone kind of working as a team and, and buddying up and things. There were a few of those. And then there was a mission where we had to land our craft on an asteroid. In reality, these were uh, these were these very slick drones that had to be piloted through these these giant aluminum foil uh, asteroids, and and you had to really be uh, precise with the the flying of these things, and you couldn't progress until everyone landed on an asteroid, and so that was that was an absolute blast. And you know, there were of course drones crashing into each other and <laughs> crashing into the wall. And um, I, I did not do too well, but I eventually landed it on the asteroid. Anyway, the next station, uh, we were starting to get clues, you see, and we were we were unlocking data and getting clues. And the third station was where the, all the clues started to come together. And this was an AR sandbox in, in the very literal sense. It was a box full of sand uh, that had an AR component. And, and what it ended up doing is making it look like the topography of a planet and and you could uh, put your hand over certain areas of the planet and watch this rainstorm, and then you'd you'd see these pools of water kind of forming and creating channels and little little streams from the rainfall. And we had to mine the planet, and we had to dig for clues and and more data. And that was really slick. And they did it all with a Raspberry Pi. They even have a uh, a guide up on their site on how you can do it yourself. And I, I, I highly recommend looking into this because it was dazzling. Anyway, we finally got all the clues together. And the clue, our clue, was we stand atop the shoulders of giants. And then we were told that we had to, we had to pass through the gatekeeper. And uh, so we go into this kind of shrouded area, and, and the CEO, Carl, is, is there in like this green glittery top hat and, uh, and vest and he's looking like kind of a I don't know kind of a Willy Wonka style character and he was just asking us the solution to the riddle and we had no idea what it was until the other two teams joined us who had different sets of data and so we had to get together and figure it out and unlock the mystery right the the gateway to Thaleo so we pass the gatekeeper and uh, and then we go into a battle and there are all of these, like probably a couple hundred of these glow-in-the-dark space invaders over in this one corner at all different heights and distances and a, a giant box of Nerf guns with like crates of dart ammo. And so we had to take out every single uh, of these space invaders to finally unlock the mystery of Thaleo. And this is where the entire super fan group had their uh, sort of Oprah moment, if you know what I mean. So there, there's this like uh, kind of a garage door that that opened up, and this fog or you know uh, um, dry ice is is coming out from under the cracks, and it reveals this giant presentation, and there are Thaleos sitting there, neatly arranged on this table. And each system said, designed for our super fans. And there was the Thaleo, uh, the super fan Thaleo logo, and then 2019 laser etched in Morse code. 
and so essentially they gave every one of the attendees a brand new Thaleo, but not just the one they've been selling. This is actually kind of the uh, second revision that has improved acoustic properties and, and better cooling and uh, like hundreds of little tweaks that they have iterated on since they first launched the Thaleo. And so that was just an incredible, uh, incredible moment that no one was expecting. After that, once we kind of came back down to earth and, and the shock, uh, you know, started to settle in that, oh my gosh, we're going home with these brand new Thaleos, uh, we got a tour of the factory. And this factory is pretty new, and Carl's going to talk about it a bit in the, uh, the interview that's coming up later. But we saw, you know, where the sausage is made, right? It's, it's um, going through and seeing these giant sheets of metal that end up being the various components of a Thaleo that go through this massive laser cutter. And then it's, it's all of the, I mean, everything, right? Where the, the screws are inserted into the chassis and where, um, pieces are fitted and, and bent and finished and where all the raw, the raw wood materials are. And we saw how those get uh, treated. And I mean, absolutely everything that goes into making a system from the ground up. And it was, it was really revealing and insightful, and uh, they just did such a good job of pulling back the curtain, you know, and and saying this is how we do it. And man, I, I'm still I'm still just kind of uh, <laughs> um, having a hard time wrapping my head around it and and expressing just how much of an impact I think this event made on everyone there, including the System Seventy Six team. So after that, there was a roundtable, as I as I alluded to before, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail for that. Uh, Carl will do that, I think, with uh, a lot of what we talked about. This roundtable, it it felt like a very, it was very much a roundtable. It was a two-way conversation from people who are both uh, critical and passionate about what System 76 is doing, and they were... They were so receptive to that criticism, and they were so grateful for the feedback. And, and like I said, we just went into the weeds. We spent about 45 minutes just talking to them about their plans to design their own laptops. You know, from things like, well, what size is too big? And, you know, millimeters, right? What, where is the cutoff point where uh, an, ultra, an ultra-thin laptop becomes too thick? And do you want replaceable batteries? And what should the touchpad be like? And how large should that be? And what kind of display properties and what kind of battery properties? And, um, you know, we're thinking about all these different finishes. And I can't even, I, I, like I said, it's, it's way too much to distill down into a podcast. Hopefully, I will have some more content coming from that roundtable. Anyway, guys, the exciting takeaway for me specifically for this roundtable was all of the advancements that are coming, all the improvements that are coming with Pop! OS. And then on the laptop side, you know, they're going to start prototyping in January. And it was made pretty clear that, you know, hey, look, guys, you saw what we, how we kind of put our stamp on the Linux desktop with, with Thalia. Well, that's what we want to do with our laptops. <laughs> so I don't know when these things are going to come out. It could be two, three years. It could be longer, but I'm, I'm very excited to be tracking that progress. And I'm really excited that they, they have let, uh, people from the community in on, on the ground floor before they even started this. 
honestly, I'm I'm finding it difficult to to properly convey how awesome this experience was. But I think you'll really get a sense of that with uh, the upcoming interviews with Carl, Rochelle, and Kate Hazen. Kate is the creative director, and Carl is the CEO of System76. And I, I, I think you'll be able to understand what I mean about this company when you hear it from them. At any rate, I'm very excited about this episode. I'm very excited about what's coming from this company. And and for me, it was it was a real watershed moment, I think, in this, this newfound uh, Linux obsession and, and career that that I've started developing. You know, I've I've said, yes, the best thing about Linux is community, but now I've I've seen it. I've shaken hands, I've, you know, given hugs, I have sat and had beers with some truly brilliant and and passionate people who are really trying to make a difference in everything they do, whether it's, you know, as monumental undertaking or just a little thing. But listen, I've I've spent 20 minutes here just gushing, <laughs> and there's a lot more to come. So let's just jump right into my interview with System76 CEO, Carl Rochelle. So as I mentioned, I am here in Denver, Colorado at System 76 headquarters. And I have the privilege of speaking with the CEO of System76, Carl Rochelle. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a privilege to have you here, actually. Thanks it's for been, coming it's all the way from Croatia. Yeah, this it's been fantastic. an absolute blast. It's, uh, you, guys, you guys put so much fun and information into this event that it's, it's such a rarity to, you know, to be in a company's home, as it were, and just get so much information. Like, here's our roadmap, and we want to hear feedback from you and you know what criticisms do you have and such an open environment that i'm not used to it's really neat and we try to do all of that in an entertaining way as well it's i uh, i get bored watching keynotes i think it's a terrible way to talk about a product or to, to like engage your community um we want to entertain we want to provide stories we want to show our ethos and who we are and and um that's why Superfan is such a different event. You don't come here and uh, listen to us talk. Uh, you come here and you have a lot of fun doing geeky stuff with the people. Very, <laughs> very geeky stuff. Very uh, geeky stuff. Yeah. And uh, and you get to introduce to new technologies and things we're doing, but doing it in a natural and fun way instead of a, uh, you know, being talked at kind of way. Yeah. Um, and then we get to spend time, of course, at the roundtable at the end, uh, which is a great opportunity for us to learn from our from our fans and our customers of how they're using our products, what we're, what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, um, ideas they have. And, and then we take that all back to the drawing board and refine our roadmap from the things we learn from everyone. So I normally ask my guests their Linux origin story. Tell us kind of from the very beginning right. how, how that started and, and why, why you decided to do that. Well, we started... I started System 86 with a friend of mine, actually, and started it in my basement 14 years ago. We did it because Linux, in, in my view, had surpassed the quality of Windows and OS X, even at that time, in 2005. Um, but it didn't have good representation in the best way that you can deliver to people, which is through hardware. Now, downloading an ISO or, or Ubuntu had a great program at that time, a great marketing program called Ship It, where uh, you could sign up and they send you a disk. 
and that, that spread Ubuntu across the map. They ship you a disk from anywhere in the world, or to anywhere in the world. It was a brilliant, um, brilliant idea that put Ubuntu in a lot of people's hands. Um, we were, we were the OEM hardware method, the, the channel through which, uh, another channel through which people could get Ubuntu and get it in a, in a package that was well supported and, um, had, had actual technical, backed by technical support, um, and guarantees around hardware, um, uh, you know, the hardware quality and, and support in Linux. So that was, that was unique in the market at the time, but not because Linux was different or necessarily even that it was open source, even though that's at core to, to our belief and, and um, why it's important, but um, because it's actually a better product. And I think that's, uh, that's essential to the way that we approach our products is, is that it doesn't matter if it happens to be open source, it really needs to be just a better product. So what, what were you selling back then? I mean, specifically yep. hardware-wise. Uh, laptops and desktops is where we started. Uh, we started uh, with $1,500. And uh, there was this program from Intel called the White Book Program. It just happened to be right time, right place kind of thing. The White Book Program was was large ODMs, original design manufacturers, um, taking some of their products off of their manufacturing line and not labeling them with a brand. So it's a White Book. Mm-hmm. Intel was concerned about having um, about laptops, uh, their customers consolidating with laptops because laptops were much more difficult, and they wanted to support a channel uh, to have. More customers than they uh, uh, than they would if it was just tier one OEMs providing notebooks. Sure. Um, that was our entry, but then we also do it inexpensively. The first laptop we sold, I actually put a picture of it on the website, having the naive confidence that I would make everything work, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it happened to work out that way. Uh, we a customer ordered, I had it overnighted to myself because <laughs> and as I didn't have you know any money doing this, and did all of the engineering um, in the next two days to make everything work on that laptop. Um, wow. Created a restore CD because uh, you know a customer needed to be able to get back to all the things that I had done, and this is really I mean these are terrible early company kind of things but um, that's that's how it started it was really gritty uh, uh, really difficult and challenging um, but every challenge that came up we had to work our way through them um, yeah we never had the luxury to throw people at problems mm. we just couldn't do it we had to uh, we had to solve solve the problems and usually that ended up being engineering for automation so, so we could do things more efficiently what was your competition like back then uh, I think there was Tux Machines or a couple more uh, along those lines. Um, there weren't a lot. And uh, every Linux OEM at that time was selling Linux on another brand. So they were saying, here's a, here's a Dell Optiplex and we'll put Red Hat on it for you. Okay. We'll make sure Red Hat works well. So they were providing a good service, but it wasn't uh, necessarily a product. It was a service right. of taking something off the shelf <clears throat> and making an right. alternate operating right. system work on that, that product. You said um, you were doing the engineering to get everything to work on these systems. Right. What did that involve? Oh, at that time, it was miserable. It's <laughs> much, much better today. We're doing more complex things these days, but it, it was very uh, – it's things that we take for granted now. Um, mics usually didn't work. Suspend never worked. Webcams didn't work. Touchpads didn't work. Hotkeys didn't work. Oh, my. Um, many things just didn't didn't work and so are, i mean are we talking about writing drivers for these things or or how i mean on a technical level like what did you have to do right it's it's writing drivers uh 
configuration. Um, That's insane. Yeah, the uh, yeah the whole nine to make sure or to you know to ensure everything was working. A lot of patches and workarounds and things like that, especially in those early days to to get things working. But um, that was the uh, that was the effort that was necessary to deliver the products in a way that we felt were um, was required to to have a good product. What was the point in in the company's history where you started building? You started expanding. What was the kind of, what was the tipping point? I think it was actually there were two points. One was about five years in. So the first five years were it was a lot of work. Um, I don't I didn't take a day off. I think the first three years, and then um, uh, we hired a first employee after the first year. It was for tech support that was eating a lot of a lot of time. Um, yeah. And so we brought in tech support. Uh, Tom Aaron is a good friend that I still I go have a beer with every once in a while. Uh, this side story, but he was with the company for for four four to six years. I don't recall exactly. Um, but afterwards, uh, he went and started his own company, a dog training company. And now he's one of the premier That's a departure. <laughs> yeah, now, and now in in the U.S. Uh, Fetch Masters is his company, and he's one of, like the premier. Um, I forget what it's called exactly, but it's like no no harm training. So the, okay. the dog, no shock collars, none of that kind right, of thing. Right. So only positive reinforcement training. So uh, yeah, and it, so we get together and talk business, and he's uh, he has his his business doing really well, and Simpson mm-hmm. Six, of course, has grown a lot since then. But uh, that's uh, yeah, that he was our first hire, and um, I think there is some truth to this weird like magic fifth year where you're. It's said that if you make it five years, then then you've got some legs under you. You can like things have. Maybe you've established a customer base and, and, um, you, you've traversed a lot of the most treacherous terrain in building a, a company by that time. And, and I think that rung true for us too. I was less worried about money every day at, at that point. Whereas mm-hmm. the years before it was, it was a constant thing. I, I never understood what an overnight loan was for until I was doing, you know, cash flow with hardware based kind of things. And, and that became much less tricky after that. And then there was like, a watershed moment around 2015, 2014, 2015, where the products started matching, you know, better matching with what the market was really looking for. And so, um, so we started taking off there. Building a factory and producing Thalia was a new, another watershed moment that the, the company changed dramatically at that point. How so? Well, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, you were getting into open hardware and right. creating a, a unique product from the ground up that really had your your stamp on it right but did it i mean did it change the like the momentum the the mentality of the employees like what happened after that came to market we were always ambitious we never really thought something was too challenging we would just go after go after it um this this was uh, different because for the last 14 years, even though we're an OEM, most of the um, most of the work of actually designing, producing the product is done in in Asia. Mm. And uh, while we have input on that design and the and the the bomb, the bill of materials for the the components on the motherboard and the components in the laptop and so forth, we had control over that, but we didn't have control over all the design. So uh, we had a lot of pain points with that, not being able to respond to our you know what we were obvious things to us to to make a better product for our customers. And so we decided to, to uh, take that on ourselves, which meant uh, learning how to produce products, learning how to work with metals, doing all the physical things. Like, uh, I mean, as simple as cutting and bending and painting. And these are all things that we hadn't done before. Um, we uh, moved into our, our factory in March. And uh, over the course of nine months, we learned how to produce a physical product and, and started shipping Thaleo in, in December of that same year. Wow. Be- when... when- 
the first Thalio shipped, what prototype number was that? Like how many iterations went into that final design before it actually went to market? So we started the Thalio project two years before we even moved into the factory. And by that time, we had already a few thousand iterations on different components. Uh, And from moving from acrylic prototypes, which is where we were, to metal prototypes and then the final product, uh, there were probably 600 iterations along the way of different components. We did a lot of 3D printing. We did a lot of um, hand-cutting things. um, uh, And then then we started farming out some of the metal cutting uh, until we got a metal cutter in-house and started doing that here. That was painful because the process was way too slow for us. We'd we design something, we'd send it someplace else, and we'd get to test it a couple of weeks later. It uh, kind of drove yeah, us mad. Yeah. But we're we're well past that now. Now we're now we're cutting and producing, and the prototypes are moving faster now too. So we're able to, and, and now the uh, the design and the the improvements are going to come faster and faster. There have actually been a lot of improvements to Thaleo since it launched that I I think a lot of people don't realize right. how quickly. You guys can iterate and and fix a problem like you were talking about the like moving up the drive cage by one millimeter right or something and and being able to like instantly execute that fix and ship it yeah um, sometimes you just don't know until you start shipping things and that's just the it's the nature of producing physical products it's the nature of producing software as well frankly um, you just can't. You can't see all the scenarios that are out there. And so Mm. the experience is what teaches you. Um, And so you have to start shipping to gain that experience to learn how to make something better. And one of the very first things was the two-and-a-half-inch drive bay was one millimeter beneath the top of the case. And that was enough for the drive to slip out in in transit. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, that's there's one you know small tweak there, and that just resolved that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to add GPU braces for and custom GPU braces depending on the GPU for for a lot of them. Um, shipping desktops is probably one of the most challenging things because these parts are very very big and they're heavy and they're not secured. They're not secured naturally in a motherboard itself. They require the chassis itself to to secure the components, and so um, it had always been a problem. The difference is uh, now we could ship something learn what happened and and we could fix it we couldn't fix these things Hmm. before well speaking of software what made you guys decide to effectively create your own distro and and i want to emphasize that you know from what i've seen and, and heard here i think there's enough there's enough evidence to dispel this this notion that well it's just a reskinned ubuntu right there there's so many things that you guys are doing differently but what inspired you to create Pop! OS? I think this was a, a long time coming, really. Uh, we were, in essence, creating a distribution to ship Ubuntu on, on products. We had a lot of experience patching packages that we uh, that we needed to improve for our customers, as well as sharing those packages upstream. But uh, this is it's very similar to developing a distribution, is packaging up a distribution, improving it, and getting it ready to ship on hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, so we felt comfortable with the process and what it was, uh, what it was to to develop a distribution. And over the course of the few years before that, Ubuntu had spent or moved a lot of their focus to phone. And um, there's there is you know uh, obvious and I think good strategy there. It's unfortunate that it didn't work out in in the end. Um, I really would have loved to see uh, Ubuntu phone have have been successful. Yeah, but I think. Canonical and Ubuntu said that we're going to pull back investment from the desktop and and from Unity, um, 
and realign our investments to the places where we're making money as a business that makes complete sense to me for them to do that. And, and they should. I want a healthy and, and strong canonical in, this, in our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I think that's better for everyone. Um, so those are, you know, those are intelligent moves. Um, but System76 is our business is the Linux desktop. This is everything we do every day is the Linux desktop. And Ubuntu was spinning, I mean, their, their revenue stream and their business model was based on the cloud at this point. So then pulling back there, that means we needed to fill in the gap of that investment. And so we started, we started investing more in the desktop. We had already been wrapping up over time because we've, as their focus kind of shifted to, to Ubuntu phone, it wasn't on the product we were shipping. We were right. needing to fill in the QA gap, the engineering. Uh, we started mm-hmm. managing NVIDIA drivers ourselves and a lot of kernel patches and a lot of other things. So you were effectively halfway there already. Right. But but did you ever look at any other distributions and think, well, maybe we could just switch to this instead? Was that something you entertained? It wasn't distribution so much as um, I think that would have pulled the rug out of our customers by too much. Uh, and maybe right. unnecessarily so. There's a lot of good technology and happening in other distributions. I like what's happening in Clear Linux. I like a lot of stuff that's happening in Solus, uh, but I think that would have been too much of a departure for our customers. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we could solve a lot of their problems that we were uh, that we knew already um, just by starting to peel off this low-hanging fruit that, that you know, existed in the, in the experience. Things like having a separate ISO for NVIDIA. You know, too. We, we knew our customers had to uh, I had to use uh, no mode set and other like grub settings just to get into their their system and, and restore. Because one of our principles was that uh, when you ship a, when we ship an Ubuntu product, you don't need separate restore media to install it. You use the Ubuntu ISO. That, that rule uh, means that you have good good a good method to get your customer back, and you don't you don't push too far outside of what's uh, uh, you know what's necessary to to, op- to operate the computer. So we built the NVIDIA ISO because customers were having so much trouble restoring their computers with NVIDIA, and we knew that the only way to do that well and do that, to do that right would be to have NVIDIA on the ISO itself, which essentially eliminated the, you know, all the problems with installing a distribution on NVIDIA hardware. If I'm not mistaken, you guys kind of pioneered that idea. Right. And it was a great idea that you know reduced a lot of friction for a lot of people. But Canonical has come along and said, okay, we're going to put the NVIDIA driver on the ISO now. But how is what you're doing different than their approach? If NVIDIA is on the ISO, it doesn't mean it's necessarily active, the driver, the, the driver is active. And the difference between our Intel ISO and the NVIDIA ISO is that the NVIDIA driver is active. And new hardware, new, new NVIDIA GPUs requires a new NVIDIA graphics driver and it requires it to be active because the support isn't available in Nouveau yet. So having it on on the ISO is a good step, and being able to tick a checkbox to install it with your, okay. with, your okay. with a ubiquity is great. But um, if that hardware is isn't supported by Nuvu, um, then you have the same problem that you're not able to boot. So let's say I get a you know a Thalio with an RTX 2080 Super in there, right? But I'm using Ubuntu, which boots with the Nuvo driver. It's I'm re- gonna get a black screen unless I go do some do with the flags, the no mode set, right. or whatever. Right, right. right. Yeah, and that's uh, yeah, that's the big difference. You really have to have it, um, uh, it both on the ISO and active. And to do it, you have to have two separate ISOs. There's there's not really a technical way around that from what we've been able to do so far. Uh, it means double the testing. It means more more builds, but um, it's it's definitely worth the the effort to ease the pain for our, for our customers. 
If you could name one or two things that you wish most people knew about Pop! OS that seems to be kind of under the radar, what would that be? The first thing is the QA team behind it and the amount of testing that goes in. So, so um, yeah, we're venturing further and further into the stack with engineering, and I think that that's, that's you know, present and, 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 and a lot of people are seeing that value that we're adding. What they don't see is this team, this QA team behind the scenes that's testing every single patch um, that's uh, moving back and forth between customers, the support team, and the mm-hmm. engineering team to uh, kind of develop this product and ensure that it's uh, you know it, it's quality is is every time we do something it's quality is exceeding what the previous release that we had done um, they're like the unsung heroes of pops quality and, hmm. and, and and the experience people are seeing what is your what does your QA process look like when there's a new release when there's uh, you know a, a big new kernel update right. things what are you actually testing so everything depends on what you're doing. Uh, if it's a new feature, then what they'll do is uh, uh, determine a test plan for that feature, and that test plan will be present in the GitHub repository. So a lot of times you can even oh, see the tests really? okay. that are conducted. Oh, neat. Right. Um, and the test plan is just uh, these are the things that you do to try to break what the engineers are doing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and there's some art to it. Uh, there's some science, but there's a lot of art to QA. And I think that that has to do with the, the people that you bring on. You can do unit testing, do a lot of other things, but when things just don't look right or don't feel right, that's more intuition, and and that's the hmm. that's the person that you're hiring to to do that work or that's taking on that that job. Um, so for if it's a Linux kernel, then that's a uh, that's a heavy amount of testing across a, a large set of hardware, um, all current chipsets, all current CPUs. Um, all current graphics drivers and one, and usually one series back as well. And those are, those are all fully tested, um, before, before anything ships. ISO testing has a long list of things that are unique to it as well. Um, all those, all of our hardware has to boot directly from the ISO and, and, uh, and the installation has to work. The right. subscription has to work. And so that's, that's, that's to be clear. That's all hardware in all configurations, right? Uh, you don't have to do it quite that way. Oh, okay. Uh, you can cover, like, you can have a SATA drive in one computer. You're covering SATA controllers. So there are different SATA controllers. So mm-hmm. you might have a couple of SATA controllers you need to cover. Um, NVMe is a, a solid standard. So if you have NVMe in one, you're covering that. So what you do is you build a hardware matrix. Uh, so you can you can do um, a full boat testing on on something like uh, something like ten machines. Really, it doesn't take uh, doesn't take a whole lot. It just takes time. Something that I have noticed in my admittedly kind of short Linux journey is, um, you know, I'm, I love bleeding edge hardware. Mm-hmm. I love when, you know, Radeon 5700 XT comes out, Zen 2 comes out, this new hardware that I'm reviewing and testing. And then of course I'm going to turn around and all right, I'm done with the windows review. The, you know, the obligation is done. Let's throw Linux on this stuff. And this last cycle of, of hardware releases was really frustrating. Um, because Zen 2 came out and uh, on launch day, it wouldn't boot. I believe it wouldn't boot on any distro uh, at all. And then the uh, the Radeon 5700 XT had very limited right. support. But you guys are selling this stuff day one. And so I, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm asking is what needs to be done to to better embrace people like me and, and embrace people who are wanting to be early adopters and go out and get that bleeding edge hardware and have it just work on whatever distro they want. What what has to change in the whole 
the whole ecosystem for that to happen. So we take hardware support. Hardware support is just fundamental, fundamental to what our, our business is and what we're doing. So um, so it's a priority to ensure that the latest hardware is working on, on Pop! OS. That is um, not us alone by any means. There's uh, a tremendous amount of work that comes from AMD and Intel and the open source community that enables this. And the distribution's job is besides some patching of Potentially, that's uh, that um, capability, that hardware enablement, is integrating it into the into the distribution so that it works mm-hmm. well. Because hardware is our business, we um, we're paying attention to everything's coming out, and we're watching those patches, and we're um, excited to pull them in earlier and get them tested because we want to we want to ship the latest hardware to our customers. Mm-hmm. So we are incentivized by our customers and our business model to ensure that support exists there. Okay. Um, we also have the hardware. I've talked to so many of these guys and they don't, you know, some of them don't have a 4K monitor. Some of them don't have the newest uh, generation of Radeon cards or NVIDIA cards. And so that, yeah, that would present a big challenge. Right. It's it's not only challenging, but you're, what that requires is that you trust the change log in a driver or something. Mm. And that's something we don't we don't trust. So we, we see Navi support come for the 5700 XT from AMD. And um, uh, we know that doesn't necessarily mean it really works. <laughs> not to our standards, not something that we could ship to our customers. And sure right, enough, right. Uh, being a new architecture, this one took longer than most others. Um, having the hardware means we don't have to... We don't have to trust it and say, oh, hey, everybody, now it works on pop without having tested it. And then people go out there and doing it and it doesn't work. Hmm. We know something works before we ever talk about it. Okay. Um, and, I th- and I think that that's only possible if you have um, you know, the hardware and the, the team testing it. So what, what happens if, let's say, I buy an Oryx Pro from you, but I don't like pop OS. I want to put Peppermint on it or I want to mm-hmm. put Arch on it. How do you support those customers? Do you support those customers if they choose to put a different distro on on the machine? You know, they like the machine, but they maybe don't like the OS. Right. So what uh, does that change kind of the way you support the customer? Well, there's a couple of things. So um, Pop! OS and Ubuntu are, are supported platforms, and um, they're what go through testing, and they're what's you right. know, official. So, yeah. so we have full confidence in what we're delivering. But we love open source. Uh, we don't care if it's Pop that you're using. That's our flagship, and that's what we're shipping. But uh, if you want to switch to another distribution, um, it's your computer, and you should be able to do that. But it is because we're bleeding edge. It is there's no way for us to guarantee that all these different distributions will will work. Right. Um, and so uh, it, it's a lot easier supporting additional desktop environments, for instance. Here at our own office, we have people that are using i3 and Sway and KDE and XFCE and mm-hmm. all the different – people here use what they want. No one's – but we all pretty much use the pop base. Okay. Um, but our customers install different desktop environments and different different distributions, and we help them as much as we possibly can. We can't put a lot of engineering resources behind behind that. Um, but you will, that, make the, you will make the effort to help them even if they're not mm-hmm. on – we will. A supported official distro right. for, the, for the hardware. Yeah, and the engineering effort really is bringing in the newest support into that distribution, and that's on the you know, and that will come to that distribution. Just it might be just a little bit later. Cool. Uh, well, we talked about a lot of stuff that's coming to Pop OS. Do you want to talk about a few of those things that maybe you're most excited about? Yeah, certainly. Um, so we've been working. Um, upstream with GNOME on uh, hybrid graphics. Um, our, our vision for hybrid graphics is enabling the user to opt into using the NVIDIA GPU on their machine whenever they launch an application. 
So um, there's another concept that is to you know right click on an icon of, and choose to launch it on the NVIDIA GPU, which is which is good. But that also means you can't use search and launch on the NVIDIA GPU and those things are it's not consistent, right? Because it depends on you selecting it each time. Okay. So we intend to add a, a toggle to um, to offer the user the ability to launch it there uh, or launch it on the NVIDIA GPU. Uh, that would be inside of applications. That's where we think it's the best fit, and we'll be working with with GNOME too to see that our, our vision there aligns. There's uh, new updates to Switcheroo. We've been working with that maintainer to uh, to enable this functionality. Um, there's new updates to uh, uh, the SimSA6 Power Daemon, which adds hybrid support. So you can boot into Intel, but I don't consider this a complete feature. Uh, there's a couple of things. One, applications have to support the right libraries to run on the NVIDIA GPU. So mm. the problem with that is you might right-click on, on an application and say, run on the NVIDIA GPU, but if that application doesn't support it, you are actually still running on your Intel GPU, and that's just not a feature. And, uh, that's, and you may not even know, right? I mean, yeah, the, the yeah, customer doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've also been working upstream with freedesktop.org to um, to have a, a uh, flag inside of de- uh, desktop files um, where the application developer can say this should run on the NVIDIA GPU. That's um, cool. Right. So um, that's going to be a kind of a community effort of uh, helping users identify which applications don't have support yet, helping upstream application developers add support, uh, and then the desktop operating system work of enabling, toggling it on and off per the user's preference. We're also working on um, advanced tiling in, in yes. Gnome. And um, <laughs> I'm very excited about this one myself. I'm a huge i3 and Sway fan. I think they're, I think it's a fantastic like, um, philosophy, the, the suckless philosophy around desktop computing. Uh, and honestly, for a while we were thinking, maybe we're, we'll have an i3 session or a Sway session along with Pop. As we dug into it, the effort to build a product out of one of those would have been a, a, a major undertaking. And a lot of the good qualities that come from them, we felt like we could, we could do that in GNOME proper and, instead hmm. of, uh, instead of a, a separate session. So that's things like tiling um, by default or launching applications tile by default. I think it's the best yeah. way to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that means it takes up your full screen and then automatically divides your screen down as you launch more and more applications. It means navigating with a keyboard. Uh, we're also huge fans of keyboard navigation throughout the operating system. And one of the problems now is switching apps, switching windows requires uh, super tab. Super tab is kind of terrible in, in a <laughs> lot of scenarios. And so, um, well, you're saying you, you typically can just fly right by the app that you want. And if you're, and I, I you've, right. you guys have a, uh, an ultra, ultra wide, I think it's a super ultra wide, right. the same one that I have. And, uh, I mean, you can have a lot of applications and windows on there and to be more productive and more efficient, you really want to just jump to exactly what you need without kind of in effect browsing for it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and just mousing across on ultra wide is, it's terrible. You kind of, you also, you, I lose my mouse cursor all the time. Right. So that's not, but you know where you want to go. Why yeah. it doesn't matter where the mouse cursor is, right? Yes. So uh, that's that's the uh, the concept that we're working on applying to GNOME is is uh, regardless of where you are, you know where you want to go, and we're going to make it really easy to jump there, whether it's another monitor um, or an ultra wide or and twenty windows over. Um, we'll make it uh, we'll make it simple to move to the window next to you, uh, above, below, around you, um, but also all the way on the other side, and to uh, to move those windows around too. Uh, that's where we're putting a lot of thought and effort in right now. That kind of I actually. 
actually think that uh, when you guys announced this, it got a round of applause from the... <laughs> <laughs> from everybody that was because, surprising yeah. and I've had so many people come to me and dude you really should try i3 <laughs> use i3 and then all the responses to that are yeah but that learning curve and you know it, and I I've, I, I, I've I like I have a, in my github uh, account I have something called uh, sway pop and that's my pop sway configuration so I've got oh, okay. step by step so if you want to try it you can uh, you can just step by step set up your uh, pop with sway and play with it but I, this is this is a it. great. I think this is a great a great solution for people who don't want to leave the the comfort of gnome, which they're used to. Well, you and, definitely uh, lose stuff too when you move over to like one of the reasons it doesn't really make sense for us to do this separate session is, well, it's sway and you've got tiling or it's i three and it's tiling and you have uh, you know the advantages there, but you click the wireless icon, it's opening up gnome settings to Wi Fi, you know, and really it's it's right. not uh, this mm-hmm. uh, it's not as not that polished when you. Um, you lose some of the nice things like the notification center. Um, you, monitor settings are not well. Well, like a, there is no GUI in i3 for configuring displays. And uh, oh, I should have mentioned this will be a GNOME extension, so right, it's not limited to pop, obviously, uh, and it can be simply installed on right. any GNOME desktop. Right. Uh, yeah, we we've think, thought about different approaches. Uh, we decided not to take you know it, to do go straight into monitor. We think uh, we can do this in a performant way um, using a, a shell extension, and it's a great place to experiment. We think we can do it really smoothly. It's on the roadmap. There's a lot of work in progress, but so far we're optimistic. Yeah, well, I, I did see it for a few seconds. Um, I, I couldn't take any video, but uh, it was impressive what I yeah. what I saw. So uh, since we're talking about you know alternate desktops and things, have you guys ever entertained... The idea of of having, you know, Pop KDE no. edition, anything like that, or oh, uh, you know, we were spending so much. There's there's so much low hanging fruit. There's so many areas for improvement. Um, if we spread that out to more desktop environments, um, other products will suffer. That's fair. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're we're focusing our firepower on on making a really really great GNOME desktop, but always supportive of. Every open source project, we have nothing cool. bad to say about any. Uh, you know, people have uh, good ideas come from everywhere, and I say just you know get out there, experiment, and build and create. I like, I like, you know, hopping distros, distro hopping, and I, I, like, I love it. I like, uh, I, I like trying different DEs. Um, uh, I just love Linux, and uh, I think it would be a shame if it was all one color. <laughs> well said. Well said. You guys were very successful at, at designing your own unique desktop. Everyone wants to know, is the same thing in store for laptops? And it is. Um, we intend to start in January or February with prototyping laptops. Um, we are at the stage of uh, you know very simple, low-level you know, low things. We're going to be prototyping uh, different um, chassis designs using different materials, testing longevity, testing... Uh, um, you know the the different properties, the thermal properties of the of the materials, and um, whether fingerprints get stick you know stick on them, whether they're, mm-hmm. they feel good under your palm. Like th- those are the kind of things that we're working on now. It's really that we're going to work on the feel quite a bit. Once we feel like we've got that down, we're, and it's not just a serial process. I shouldn't really say that. There's much more going on. We're working on keyboard controllers. We're working on supply chain for displays and touchpads and and all those things simultaneously. But the part that I'm 
spending a lot of time on is uh, is the feel and the look of the laptop, and uh, and then we're going to marry that to this these you know premium components that we're we're mm. handpicking to, to put in this. Do laptop. you have do you have kind of a a dream design in mind? And that that obviously is not committing you guys to building it, but if you had the the resources, what would your what would a System seventy six laptop uh, what would be unique about it? Well, yeah, I take what we did with desktop and the, uh, our our brand and our, our who who we are. We want to express who we are, but also who our community is through the product that we designed through the products design. So Thaleo is warm and inviting, and it's uh, wood grain, rounded corners. It's not it doesn't it's not edgy. It's not flashing lights at you. It's uh, it's kind of classy, it's classic, clean, yeah, it's mm-hmm. sharp. Yeah, um, that's where we're going with laptop. That's, that's exciting. The same kind of feel. Um, any plans to get into gaming laptops? We'll start with um, uh, U-Class, most likely. So that's going to be like our daughter in Galago. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe move up into H-Class as well. NVIDIA is a whole other beast. So we're going to tackle, uh, we're yeah, gonna tackle yeah. our ultra portables first, and then we'll move up. That's a good move. Yeah, because yeah. I think those are obviously going to be the most popular. Yeah. Right? I guess we didn't talk about some of the improvements to Thaleo. Well, we did talk about Thaleo. Well, a bit, but... Yeah, so one thing to, to share with your audience is that everyone that came to Superfan also got a prototype of the Rev2 Thaleo model. And this is um, all of our effort into improving um, the thermal capabilities of the chassis as well as its acoustic properties all wrapped up into a, into a product. So uh, some, a lot of customers, current customers will also benefit greatly from this. Um, just yesterday... How so? Well, yesterday we sent out the first code updates from the results of our tests, and we're cutting this the typical audio sound or the the noisiness of Thaleo by seven decibels. Like it's something it's going from thirty, like it's going from forty decibels to thirty three. Okay, and thirty thirty decibels is a whisper, right? Thirty is a whisper. Thirty is also where our equipment zeroes out. We can't even measure huh. under thirty. Okay. So, um, so, so it's, that's a that's a fairly substantial difference if we're in a really quiet environment like this one here yeah and um and decibels are a logarithmic scale so 40 isn't just 10 more than than 30 40 is a lot louder than 30 right it's dramatically different so um it will be immediately noticeable once customers update their uh uh, you know update pop uh and then there's additional acoustic um properties and and changes to this new design that make a sound they increase the quality we're moving to another cooler as well there's a little bit of a whine that we don't like from oh, okay uh you know from our previous cooler so we're going to move to a, a nashua cooler for um uh, for new orders pretty soon uh but uh, yeah that's the that's the other big news so it seems say. that's really cool i mean it seems like thaleo has been on this it has been constantly iterated instead of just here's this design we locked in and a year later We'll release it with some improvements, yeah, well, and I think that's a really cool approach. We think of it like pop. Ah, if there's something yeah. that we can make better, we're it seems odd not to do so. <laughs> and now that we have, we can do this because we have a factory now. If there's a change that is going to improve the product, we just put it in, we start cutting it, and now we're shipping it. Has the creation of your factory impacted pricing? at all uh, has that been able to kind of cut some costs and and have you been able to pass that on to the customers we've had a couple things happen so there uh, in the beginning our costs to produce were pretty high um, and our margins were squeezed because we wanted to be competitive but over the course of the year we added s- such a tremendous amount of efficiency into the process that we were able to um, 
uh, reduce costs dramatically, reduce the price dramatically, be extremely competitive for the quality of the product in, in its class, and um, produce all the things here in Denver, Colorado. Which um, is really cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, and so... Definitely a, a level of pride that goes into that. Right. Yeah. There's, um, yeah, I, I don't think that we're at any competitive disadvantage. Um, the opposite is true. Uh, now we, we have such a substantial advantage because we can very rapidly respond to our customers in ways that are impossible when changes take six months from ODMs and, you know, halfway across the world. Mm-hmm. So I've been, I've been covering PC tech for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I've been to, you know, I've interviewed a lot of companies. I've been to a lot of press events. I've, you know, I've seen all manner of approaches to creating and marketing hardware. And uh, there's something that walking into to your home here in Denver, there's something that just felt really different to me. And, and I, I was trying to describe this to my wife and I was just coming up short for words, but I... Uh, the first thing that's that that really jumped out at me is like these are just a bunch of cool normal people yeah they're not they're not um your team is not posturing they're not trying to you know fake their way through a, an event like this they're just they're having fun and they're being real and i i don't like is that how do you foster that how do you get all that in in a room together it's it's really hard for me to describe, but it just feels different. This company, there's the yeah. people here are just a little different. Well, there's there's a couple of things to it. First, first is our approach to our daily life as a company. Um, I've seen companies that are very very strict, and they have a lot of rules around how things are accomplished and done. And there's red tape and things. Uh, people are maybe walking on eggshells a lot of times because mm. they're worried about moving forward or taking a risk or doing something. Okay. Then there's the opposite side that's just a total Wild West. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and they never even release a product. They spend two years on that thing and then that thing ever, ever ships. I I try to put our team somewhere in the middle. Okay. I like to be academic. I like to explore potential avenues that we maybe haven't thought of before. Um, a lot of exploration or a lot of things we're doing today um, started out with somebody just on the side tinkering with something. Ian just started you know, playing with a theme and he said, hey, I made this thing. I was like, that looks really good and matches really well. <laughs> hey, and and you know, slowly pop came to, to fruition. Uh, huh. Jeremy started working on uh, keyboard controllers because Three years ago, he was thinking about how are we going to make laptops. Well, maybe we should start doing, uh, you know, experimenting with you know, embedded controller software now. And so he yeah, started yeah, doing yeah. that type of work. But then we also have our responsibilities, and we have um, uh, you know strict QA and and things like that. So we we try to balance academic exploration, responsibilities, product development, getting to release, and, and just I think we have we've hit our stride with with what that um, with what that balance should be. Uh, so we're both able to deliver quality features, be innovative, and we're not tied by you know fears of failing either. We've had we've had a lot of successes over the years, and each one we've done something a little bit bigger. Building a factory was big. That's got to be a huge. Uh, that, that was a huge deal. Yeah. Uh, was that did that feel risky? It, yeah, you? it certainly uh, did. It was very, very <laughs> risky. This is, this is millions of dollars in, in investment to, to make this thing. Not to mention actually learning how to do it. Right? And learning how yeah. to do it, yes. And the thing is, because we had been successful doing brand new things that we hadn't done before over and over again, um, we weren't afraid about the team being able to execute and do this. And and 
and it worked out and it's it's succeeded in the last year um, tremendously and so we're not afraid of moving into laptops or yeah, the next big so cool. thing yeah yeah um on the people side we're really picky, picky about who comes on the team we have a we have a process um, that I think re- works really well to identify the people that are experts in the domain that they're going to be mm-hmm. like, overtaking here or, or handling here. That's I think that's part of the genuine feel that you get is that these are experts in in their field and the work that they're doing. Um, so they don't have to fake it. <laughs> they really know what they're doing. Um, and that's true of everyone in every position here. You know, I, I actually, I just figured out how to, how to end this interview. I'm going to ask you a really tough question. Yeah. Um, you guys have been growing fairly quickly from what, from what I can see. What do you attribute to your growth? What is the one thing that you attribute most to the success? Let's call it the success right. uh, of System 76. Well, it's actually not that hard of a question. Um, the reason is because there is no one thing. Mm. Uh, the only way um, to be successful, in my view, is to do a lot of things really well. So that means um, building a good product. That means having a good team that's behind it, supporting it. It means it's friendly, knowledgeable salespeople that when you when you call in and you're talking about uh, the machine learning or, or AI work that you're doing, that the person on the other side knows what you're talking about. It's that the, uh, the marketing department is in tune and understands the needs of your customers and what matters to them so that they can speak to them in their own language. Uh, these are all necessary, I think, to, um, to deliver a good product and to succeed. Well, thank you for yeah. such a great talk. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been just a blast. I don't know. I'm, I'm not feeling very eloquent at this point because it's been a lot of travel and a lot of fun. Uh, but this has been a really, a really unique experience, and we, I, I can tell that you guys just poured your heart and soul into it. It's been great. I have in front of me Kate Hazen, the creative director mm. at System 76. Yeah. And as someone who was kind of just starting to come into the Linux fold when Thaleo was happening, or at least being planned, yeah. um, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't aware of kind of the mythos and the story behind the name. And I mean, because yeah. when you're, when you're creating your first product from the ground up i'm i'm it's probably like naming a band right it's uh, it's impossibly hard it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's like it's naming a whole new reality basically <laughs> so i mean can yeah. you take us quickly through the the whole process of how you guys oh came up with the name and 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 what inspired it and kind of what was the story behind the name yeah well it is Thaleo. 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 Yeah. I and mispronounce it all the time. And it's okay. You're Thaleo. not the only one. I have said Thaleo to people. I've coached people on Thaleo. And even employees will still try and say Thaleo. It's not, it's not an anglicized word. It is taken from Greek origins because I almost got my degree in linguistics instead of oh, graphic design. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I am a uber nerd. Um, but it's just a different kind of nerd. Anyway, but uh, Thaleo, it originally 
it had it was codenamed Mimas, and it was uh, one of the moons of I think that's Jupiter. Okay. Uh oh, watch me be wrong about that. I can edit anyway. that out. It's all right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and we didn't know what we were going to call it. So at the time, um, the marketing squad, I mean, I wouldn't even call us totally a department at that point. And Carl, we did an offsite in the mountains that was all about trying to come up with the name. The name was the most important. Like we had to synth- further synthesize our brand into mm-hmm. this whole new reality of manufacturing desktops from the ground up from this company. <laughs> like no pressure, crazy time. Yeah. So yeah, no pressure at all. <laughs> and we spent like the first day and a half just banging our heads against the proverbial brick wall. And, uh, you know, we're trying to think, well, should it be like an asteroid? Should it be named after this and that and this other kind of celestial body or maybe this sort of uh, cluster of things? And we kept trying to ground it in existing reality. Uh. And then we were we got out of the um, Airbnb that we were staying at, I think, and uh, we went on a hike. And then at some point, Carl and I were just talking about things and I forget what he said, but it was something along the lines of like gearing the idea more into a fictional realm. And I don't know what he said, but I I stopped in the middle of the path and said, what if it's not real? Like, what if this doesn't exist yet? And it's entirely fictional. Hmm. And then that just blew open the entire idea. So then then eventually, um, through a lot of linguistic nerdery, uh, hit <laughs> Interesting. on yeah, uh, telos, which is Greek for purpose or meaning, okay. and helios for sun. And then it, since it came down to thaleo, um, which I pulled from telos and helios and... IO, IO board, but also one zero being binary. And oh, so, so that's why we lost the S. That's kind of brilliant. So it's, thaleo, it has, it's an invented word, but it means, it has, you know, the purpose. It means we're, so many things. Yeah, yeah, we're meant for, we're meant for okay. the stars. We're meant for transcending what's been done before. Um, yeah. So it's, so it's, and then it evolved. I was already building robots and this sort of sci-fi brand canon. Mm-hmm. And that was just the next step. And suddenly all of these parts of the story were falling into place that Thaleo was this fictional solar system um, that we haven't fully explored. We don't know how many planets. We don't know how many celestial bodies are in it. But we're starting to branch out into this new reach of the universe. That's interesting. So (laughs) in in a way, so you've created a new universe Uh for this new product. Yeah. And and I guess by... That 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 concept of not having explored it all, mm-hmm. it's kind of a is it kind of a reflection of the company having this yeah wide open yep. f- area of possibility, right? Where we are not we sure can, what's going to happen sure, or what yeah. we're gonna what we're going to set our sights on next. You know, within this realm, I mean, we know where we're headed ultimately in our next steps, but um, but we started uh, we started with. I was pulled in to rebrand the company and um, uh, started with Mortimer. It was our first robot 
who destroyed the old website and the old brand and made way for something new. <laughs> and then Quentin, <laughs> Quentin came along. He was the next. He's in our Unleash Your Potential right. T-shirts and uh-huh. the sticker. That's Quentin. He has okay. two eyes because Roman numeral two. He was the second robot. And then Melvin is the desktop sentinel, which was also, he was, he shows up in a cameo at the end of the um, Thaleo launch narrative that was that animated interactive okay. um, yeah. experience yeah. online. Uh, he, those three robots landed on Earth, and they brought us this like new technology from from beyond, and that is essentially the groundwork for Pop OS. Um, and our first mm. foray into trying to take that technology and build off of it, a la open source, um, was the ideas made real conceptabots thing where we brought kids into our office and we had them we gave them these robot pieces two-dimensionally and they dropped they built robots out of these pieces in gimp and then what we didn't tell them was that we were going to 3d print the robots that they designed in real life oh i bet they were thrilled oh my goodness watch that video it's on our youtube channel okay okay i got so choked up in the moment and every time i watch that video i'm just like because they're so they're so excited to create things. They're kids, right? They're totally yeah. open to to anything, and so that was our conceptabots. That was you know for it's a little steampunk because um, we printed it with iron. Filament. There's nothing wrong with little steampunk. No, no, no. And shout out to Ben Vague Entertainment, who was one of our super fans, and we've continued to work with occasionally because he just he loves robots too. So he's constantly doing cool projects with them and. I don't know. Huh. We, I, I tap back into his expertise anytime I can. <laughs> so what do you, what do you think the? Uh, I, I know this is a very forward-looking question, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I just talked to Carl about the, the idea for, well, not the idea. I've just talked to Carl about uh, the plans for prototyping some laptops mm-hmm. in house. Yep. Do you think that the uh, that 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 kind of theme around the marketing will? carry forward with that line as well yes expand that universe it will not be from the same system Uh because laptops are so they're very different different from desktop so they are coming from a completely different region of space Hmm. um so i don't foresee them being thalia laptops okay they will be their own entity Um, but i get the i get the sense that they'll kind of have that same system 76 mythos yeah. mythos and also maybe even kind of that visual stamp yeah like you I'm know hoping, the i don't know that the mountain the wood, scenery yeah i don't and, know that they'll have the wood grain i don't i don't know that that's right you know, right well, whatever other kind of natural resource is abundant in yeah the i just i just i just feel like we're open i feel like what we saw with thaleo mm-hmm. we will see some interpretation of that on the on the laptop, something yeah. that says this is a Beauty, this is distinctly a System seventy six piece of hardware and a touch of whimsy. That's no. that's well, why you said it much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been doing this for five and a half years now, and I mean, and and so that's what I, we went through. You know, one, two, three, four, five is uh, Simon. He's our. 500 error hopefully you don't see him okay adorable (laughs) and and uh spoiler alert he'll be showing up more in social media going forward oh okay six were the robots and then the seven series is zoe who's in the initial setup process and her sisters which you will also see more of coming up soon wow it Um, sounds like there should be maybe a graphic novel at this point for oh (laughs) 
Okay. All right. I have ideas. Breaking news. <laughs> I have so many hopes and dreams tied into the robots. Um, but as we continue to, you know, they are they are uh, research and discovery, reflecting R and D as we went through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, they are going to uh, eventually touch on a new reach of space. So. I don't know who the eighth gen robots are yet. I haven't met them, but Man. the seventh gen robots, the seven sisters, are currently exploring the reaches of space, and we'll see what they come up. That's with. a lot more backstory <laughs> than I was expecting. <laughs> it really is <laughs> so much more than most. I mean, not even everyone at the company knows that, but like Alex, my copywriter, and I, we we. I have ambitions, and uh, Joshua, our marketing director, he he's all for leaning into the robots, and Carl has always been like, hmm. yeah, robots. <laughs> like, yeah. Heck yeah, we're I robots. I grew up in love with the Transformers, so that's, <laughs> exactly. that speaks to me. Yes. <laughs> Roll out. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, we, we, Carl has... I was talking him up last night at the bar, but Carl has such a knack for finding the right people to hop on the nerd bandwagon. We had we had a, <laughs> a good chunk uh, of our conversation was about that, actually. Yeah. 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 Just good people who mm-hmm. are excited about pro- just creating things and doing their best work and leaning into exactly the kinds of people that we already are. Um because, I mean, when I first started, the whole point was we we are not another tech brand. We are, we are not just another computer company. We want to be something else. We want to be set apart, but not just for marketing purposes. We feel like something else. You know, we're, okay. we're, we're not in Silicon Valley. We're in the we're in Denver. We're in the middle of the mountains where it's all rustic and we like to hike and we like craft coffee and beer. And, yes. And we just like we're the kinds of people we want to hang out. You know, and we want you to come hang out with us. And like we have some elevated taste, but we're still like we want to have fun. We just want well, to have so, fun. Well, so, okay, this this kind of brings up a really interesting question. So, System76 is an OEM. Mm-hmm. It is a uh, Linux distribution mm-hmm. creator. Mm-hmm. It's a hardware company. Yeah. It, but but what is System76? Like, <laughs> how, how do you encapsulate that in maybe three or four words? What, is, what kind of company is System76? It's a team of creators, makers, and builders creating, making, and building for other creators, makers, and builders. That was more than four <laughs> words, but it was mostly the I same. I mean, it I was mostly the same four words, so right? I'll allow it's, it. It's, okay. It's, we are fun dorks. <laughs> System 76. It's our new company motto. All right. I hope I see that Carl. on the, I hope I see that on the website yeah. on Monday. <laughs> System 76. Uh, we we're fun dorks. Dorks. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for that very uh, illuminating story. And this is that was really fun to learn I'm about. Where I am. <laughs> uh, okay, what's okay before before I let you go? What is yeah. kind of your next big project or or adventure here? I'm working on it right now. But, yeah. Um, Does it have anything to do with a holiday? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Does it have anything to do with community? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Anything else you can tell me? Robots. 
robots. <laughs> All right. Robots. Well, uh, hopefully we'll hear more about it soon. Yep. Thanks, Kate. So Thank you. Well, everybody, that is going to do it for episode 18 of Linux for Everyone. I really hope you enjoyed this. A fraction of the amount that I enjoyed actually hanging out with these people and learning so much. I still have so much to unpack, and I think there's going to be uh, more content to come, and I'll, I'll definitely be talking about that Thaleo once I get back home and, and start putting it through the paces. As always, I want to thank all of my patrons and everyone who listens to the show, everyone who comments, who lifts me up, who gives me suggestions and feedback and just makes this so much fun. And a huge shout out to System76 for being a class act. I'll talk to you next week for episode 19. And until then, take care and take care of each other. <laughs>